Well, welcome again to Sunday night service here at Moody Church and happy Mother's Day um, to those of you moms who are joining us. We are so glad to worship with you, even through technologies. That's all we're limited to um, in this time and in this season. Well, if you're like me, a lot of your life the last, especially a couple weeks, has started to kind of shift thinking in the midst of this pandemic to, to really thinking about, okay, well, what's next? What's next? And the conversation, I think, really all over the world, and especially in our country, has it's kind of shifted to, all right, well, well, what will this next few weeks, months, maybe even years kind of look like? And instead of just dwelling on the present, we've started to think forward to the future. Now, this is neither the time nor the place to debate how opening things up should look or along what time people a lot smarter than me are making those decisions. And I'm thankful that I don't have to be the one making those. But I do think as a follower of Jesus, I've noticed something interesting the last few weeks that I think can actually be helpful for us. And that the last few weeks, especially, we've been thinking a lot more about the future. We've been thinking about what life will be like when it gets back a little more to normal. I know I've been thinking a lot, what, what life will be back when we can finally gather together in this building and worship? And our lives, because of the season in which we live, have actually become more targeted towards the future. And thinking of the future helps us get through this kind of day-to-day -day grind that it seems like we're in. This idea of us not just dwelling on the present, but looking forward to the future is actually a very good thing for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is filled with different passages, and we're going to look at several of those tonight, that talk about how as Christians, our focus shouldn't just be on today. It shouldn't just be on the present moment situation that we find ourselves in, but that Christians should always be people who are living with our hearts set for eternity. Not just focus on today, but always looking towards the future. The Bible has a lot to say about what we would call the return of Jesus Christ or the second coming of Jesus. And we see that this is this fact that we serve a savior who came for the first time. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven. And as he left, he promised, I will come again. And our hope as followers of Jesus Christ is looking forward in the future to this time when Jesus will indeed return. And so tonight as we open God's word, we're going to look at three reasons that our hope is in Christ's second coming. Three reasons that we should hope in Jesus' second coming. The first reason is this. The first reason we should hope in Christ's coming is that it changes our current perspective. When we think about the fact that we aren't just here and we'll always be here and we'll someday die and nothing happens after that. But when we get our minds focused off of the present moment, off of today, and start to realize and remember the fact that we serve, if you're a Christian, a Savior who has promised he will return, it changes your perspective on the present day by thinking about the future. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is talking about the return, the second coming of Jesus. And we are told to set our hope fully 
on that grace. Not just to like, oh yeah, remember that that's coming and let it reassure you. But that is to be the source, the foundation of our hope is the fact that we serve a savior who will come back again. These two kind of phrases that describe how it looks to set our mind fully are very interesting. It says that, that we should prepare our minds for action. Literally, the translation there could be prepare or gird up the loins of your mind for running. It's this idea of back when they would write that people would wear long flowing robes. And if you just decided to take a run, something happened, and you just started running, it would be a matter of steps before you would trip over your robe and you would soon fall on your face and make quite a fool of yourself. And so this idea of preparing, girding up your loins would be that you would gather the robe, you would pick it up, hold it up, set your feet and had room to run. And in that way, you weren't caught up. It's the same metaphor actually for how we think, for our minds. He then says being sober minded. It's this idea of self-control. He's not only talking about alcoholic consumption, although that certainly would be included, right? He's not just saying though, don't get drunk all the time, but he's saying, have your minds focused on the present. Why? Because you are setting your hope on the future return of Christ. See, it changes our perspective when we start to live with this idea of what is going on today but not only what is going on today, what will go on in the future and what are we hoping in? See, life has felt out of control for a lot of us these last few months. It's been unprecedented for most of us in our lives. We've never lived through something like this. And when this happens, I would say that when I read this verse this week, when I thought of being sober-minded and preparing our minds for action, I thought that hasn't necessarily been true for me and probably for a lot of us the last couple months. We haven't necessarily been thinking that way. I came across uh, something several weeks ago that I have found so profoundly helpful during this time. And it was a Christian author who was talking about the psychology of crisis and what happens to us in times like we find ourselves where things just are so different. It's interesting, he talked about how some of the foundational aspects for how we live our lives have been disrupted. One of the foundational aspects of life is our interconnectedness, our relationships. And to some extent, those have been impacted for a lot of us who haven't gone to work or really seen any friends or family. It's been profoundly impacted. He said that the second way you often identify yourself is through the structure of your life. And for all of us, the structure of our lives have changed somewhat the last couple months. And then he said the third thing that happens in our sense of identity that goes up in crisis is our, our, our control is gone. That we don't feel like we're in control anymore. And when we feel our lives out of control, we go into a few different modes. We go into this idea, right, of, of fight or flight, or we just freeze and panic. And he says, when that happens, we're not thinking, as the apostle Peter would say, we're not thinking sober-minded. We're not preparing our minds for how we live in the future. Instead, we literally are living lives in panic, that the world is out of control, and I just found so interesting what he said, because I never heard this anywhere else. So he said, okay, so what, what, what are we supposed to do when everything seems to be out of control and your whole normal is kind of disrupted? He said, well, take five minutes and write down everything you can that is out of control in your world and spend five minutes kind of freaking out about it, worrying, saying, oh my goodness, look at everything that's going on. But just spend five minutes. 
And then he said, and then spend five minutes and start to focus on what you can control. The things that are within your control, your disciplines, your habits, to some extent, your health or your health practices, at least start to focus on what you do control. And at that point, your world can start to to become more structured again. And what I wanted to, to add to what he said is, okay, yes, take some time to think of what you can't control. Yes, start to think about what you can control. But then what if we took five minutes after that to think about what does God control? What does God control? And it's a reminder to us that even though there's a lot of things that we can't control, none of this is outside of God's realm. None of this has caught God by surprise. And we can still live lives. We can be preparing our minds for action. We can be sober-minded and self-control even in the midst of all that's going on because our hope isn't set on the things of this earth, but our hope is set fully on what God will do in Jesus. It says this earlier in the book of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's coming to us in the future that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Three very strong words there kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guided through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this living hope because of Jesus's resurrection and this inheritance, what we have to look forward to as followers of Jesus Christ is guarded by God's power. See, even though a lot of things in this world have been out of our own control and it can seem to be helpless at times, When we focus and set our hope on the return of Christ, not on the things of this world, it reminds us that God is still in control. And it changes our perspective because we can still live lives like how Peter calls us to. We can still live a life of self-control when we know that God is in control. And so when we rest in the fact that our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ, And none of the events of the last months or years changes any of the hope that we have. It profoundly impacts how we view ourselves in the midst of all that's going on. The second reason to put our hope in Jesus and in his second coming is that it teaches us how to wait. When we put our hope on Christ's second coming, as we wait for it, it teaches us how we are to Wait, it says this in Titus chapter two, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
He talks about there that that phrase that our blessed hope, our great hope, if you would, is in this appearance of Jesus Christ that we are looking forward to. And so often in the New Testament, when it talks about the second coming, the word glory finds itself in there all the time. The glorious appearance of Jesus Christ at his second coming. It's a reminder that a lot of people missed Jesus's first coming, right? They weren't expecting the Savior to come and to be born and to grow up where he did and to do the things. It's a reminder the second coming we're not going to miss. It will be impossible to miss this one when Jesus returns in all of his glory and all of his power. But notice what he talks about there in Titus 2. As we wait for it, we are to live in a certain way. We're to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We're to live self-controlled, to live upright, to live godly lives in this present age. See, he's saying here that as we wait for the culmination of our salvation, as we wait for the return of Jesus, we have an obligation to honor him in the present. Because we know he's coming, we have an obligation now to still honor him today. You could think of it this way. Think of someone who is engaged. The rings on the finger, the ceremonies being planned. I know a lot of people personally who were planning to get married either in the last month or in the future, whose kind of wedding plans have gone up in the air. And that's one of those things that's been profoundly impacted by all of this. But think of someone in their engagement period. They're excited. Their plan for the future is full of hope and promise. Yet you would say, okay, they're not yet married. They're still looking forward to that day. And it's weeks, months, maybe a year off. Hopefully not a lot of years. Don't do that. All right. But it's, it's in the future. But even while they wait for something that's in the future, they still have an obligation to that person in the present. They still have an obligation to honor them and to be faithful to that person and to respect and to love that person even while they're waiting for the culmination of their relationship to come. Yes, in the same way, we are waiting for the culmination of our salvation at the return of Jesus Christ. Yet in this present moment, while we await all that will be ours, we still have an obligation for us in the present and the now to live for him. And so it teaches us to wait, to live godly lives, realizing that how we live now matters because of the hope that we have in the future. It also reminds us of this when we're thinking of, of how to wait. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So how do we wait? We wait with an obligation of honoring Christ in the now, but we're also called to wait with patience. We're also called to wait for God with patience because God is being patient towards us. See, it's so easy to misunderstand God's timing on things. It's so easy to misunderstand God's timing. And for this, in this instance, they were talking about in this book, well, well, maybe Jesus has come back or somewhere saying, well, maybe, maybe the reason Jesus is, hasn't come back yet is because his love for you isn't like what he said, or, or he doesn't really care that much about you. And Peter says, no, no, no. The reason is because of God's love. 
And so because we know that God's heart for us is constant, even though we might not understand his timing, it still allows us to wait with patience. I think this is a reminder for us. Yes, as we wait for the second coming of Christ, but even for us in this period as followers of Jesus, while we wait for life to kind of get back to whatever normal will look like, that we can trust in God's timing and God's provision on all of this. So what does it mean though? What does it look like to wait patiently for the return of Jesus? What does it mean to wait patiently for the return? I think one of the ways that we know we're waiting patiently is that we continue to worship God no matter the circumstances of our lives. Our worship doesn't change based on circumstances because our hope is in him. And we know that he will come back. He will be faithful to that in his good timing. And so we can still worship God with our hearts, with our full lives, no matter what is going on, because our hope is sure in him. Another way that it looks like to to wait patiently for God is in the kindness of our hearts towards the people around us. Sometimes when I think about what does it look like to wait patiently, I just think of myself, well, what do I look like when I'm not patient? And I know for me, when I'm not patient, I am unkind and I am harsh and I am very critical of others. And when we sense those attitudes rising within us, especially when we sense that our hearts are saying that towards God, it means that we're not waiting patiently on him, but we are being impatient and we're not trusting in his timing. Another way that we know we're waiting patiently on God is that our hearts are content no matter what the circumstances of our lives may be. In Philippians chapter four, probably the verse that's taken out of context in scripture the most that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Two verses before that, he says, I have learned the secret to being content in any situation, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I am hungry or whether I am full, whether I have a place to sleep or not. In all these situations, this is the secret to contentment. I can do all things because Jesus gives me strength. See, it doesn't matter how well our lives are going at the moment on our contentness because Jesus is the key to contentment. And so whether our lives feel great or not, whether we're employed or not, whether we have money coming in or whether we don't know how we're going to pay the rent this month or next month or we're already behind, we can still be content because our hearts have been united to Jesus. So that's what a patient heart looks like. We wait an obligation honoring God now, and we wait patiently for him to return again in the future. The third reason, though, that we should wait, the first third reason that we should look forward to the the return of Christ, excuse me, is that it reminds us of what matters most. It reminds us of what matters most. As we get our hopes and our hearts off of the things of today and we think of Jesus's return, it reminds us really of of the most significant thing in life. It says in the book of Colossians chapter three, verse four, when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that idea that Christ is your life. When he appears, when he returns the second time, then you will appear and be with him in glory. He said earlier in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles 
are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus in us, united to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, gives us the sure hope that we will be glorified at his return. That our salvation will be completed, not because of our own efforts, but because we have been united to Jesus. See, often when we think of the return of Jesus, when we think of the eternal state, of what life will look like for eternity, Oftentimes, our minds are naturally drawn to what life will be like for us, right? What, what will heaven be like for me? What will the benefits to it be like for me? We love to think of and debate, what will the new resurrection body be like? Will we be able to fly? Can we walk through walls? What will life be like? And I don't want us to, to think negatively about those things. Life will be amazing. It's beyond what we could ever understand or even comprehend. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a picture of some of these benefits. It says that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. And you're like, yes, that sounds great. No pain, no tears, no sadness. What a great thing that will be for me. But the greatest benefits of Christ's return isn't those things. It's not that there won't be any pain. It's not that there won't be any tears as great as those things will be. But we need to look at the verse before to be reminded of this. In Revelation 21 verse 3, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. As followers of Jesus, our great hope is not that pain will one day no longer exist. Our great hope is not that sadness will no longer exist in the world. Our great hope is not that one day pandemics won't rule the world. Our great hope is being with Jesus. That is our hope, is being with him. That's what matters most. Not these other benefits, but the fact that we will be with Jesus. When I was young, um, I, I grew up in Southern California and for most of my childhood, when I was growing up, both sets of my grandparents lived in Michigan. And so I didn't get to see them a lot. I know a lot of people grow up close to a lot of family. And so going over and seeing grandparents happened weekly or daily almost. Some people grow up with their grandparents in their homes and they see them all the time. But for me, I didn't get to see them very often. They would often come visit maybe once during the school year. And then during the summers, we would try and take a longer trip and go and visit and spend several, several weeks, a lot of time with them. And I remember as a young kid, I just loved, as I think a lot of kids do, I loved going to grandma and grandpa's house. I loved going to grandma and grandpa's house. Remember for my, my one grandma and grandpa, they had a big yard in the backyard. It had a pond. We would go out there for hours and go fishing in the backyard. We'd play all sorts of games. We would go get ice cream every single night. It was amazing. For my other grandparents, they were, we, we loved going over to their house. And my, my one grandpa, when, when my mom wasn't looking, would sneak me ice cream for breakfast. Oh, it was fantastic. I, I loved all the stuff that we got to do when we were at grandma and grandpa's house. But the best thing about it wasn't the stuff that we got to do. It wasn't the pond. It wasn't ice cream for breakfast, as great as that was. The best thing about all of it was being with grandma and grandpa. 
you could have had all those benefits, but if they weren't there, if it wasn't enjoying and being with them, it, it wouldn't have been nearly as much fun. It wouldn't have been nearly as significant. See, it reminds us today the hope of our salvation, the greatest benefit that we have in Christ is not a removal of pain. It's not a removal of hardship, but it's that one day we will be united with him. He is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus, period. Our hope is in him. And no matter what goes on in this world, we can be convinced that we will be with him. Scripture is filled with passages reminding followers of Jesus Christ that anything that happens in life, nothing can divide us when we have been united to Christ, when we have been adopted into the family of God. The Apostle Paul famously put it this way in the book of Romans chapter 8. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or job loss or not knowing where the rent's coming from or any of these things? Can that? Then he says two verses later, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how can we have hope in the midst of all that is going on in our world? How can we have hope amidst all the turmoil, the hurt, the pain of our world? It's because our hope isn't in our circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we know that hope is secure and nothing could separate us from him. We have hope because we are united to Christ. And when we have been united with him, we know that we will be with him forever. That's why we can look forward so much to the return of Christ because we can look forward to it in confidence and expectation and hope because we have been united to him. And so the return of Jesus is our great hope. We've titled this series, Hope is Here. Because when we think about what it means as a human being to have hope, it's not just to be naive that things will get better in the future, but hope is based on a relationship with Jesus. And when we know Jesus, no matter the circumstances of our lives, we have reason to hope. So where are you today? Do you have hope? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have every reason to have hope because Jesus is with you. And if you're not today, you can start a relationship with Jesus. You can confess your sin and place your faith in him and start that relationship. And no matter what happens in our world, you can still be someone who has hope because you are in the family of God. We don't just hope because we think things will get better. Hope is here now with us today. Hope is here because Jesus is here with us even now. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus Christ and the glory that will be revealed when you return to this world. God, I thank you that that hope that we have for the future changes how we live in the present. 
and that our great hope isn't in all these things that will pass away and will be better, but our great hope is simply in being with you, in seeing you face to face. God, may that be the source of our hope and of our comfort during whatever may come our way. We do thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus and that hope can be present with us even now because Jesus is also present with us here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.